You're listening to Gameplay with Matthew Cause on TSN 1050. Embrace the odds. I want winners. Very excited for my next guest, Tom Verducci, as someone who grew up always reading Sports Illustrated, subscribing to it, couldn't wait. And by the way, this is how I'm dating myself before, you know, the Internet was a massive thing, and suddenly the SI would appear every Thursday. Always glorious. And also you can catch Tom Verducci, um, also the M- with MLB Network as well, covering all things baseball. Tom, really appreciate you joining the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want to go in a hundred different places, but I, I want to start here, and I, I understand this news happened a little while ago, but sometimes I think it's important, especially for younger generations, just to um, you know get an idea who the, the last uh, set of just real masters, giants in this industry. What should people know about Tim McCarver, uh, the legendary broadcaster and incredible baseball player who passed away? Uh, what should people uh, know about him who may not have followed much of his career? Well, I think the first thing probably is he was so good that every network that had the World Series wanted Tim McCarver. I mean, no analyst has done more World Series than Tim McCarver, 24 of them. And it wasn't like I know he's associated mostly with Fox, and, of course, he and Joe Buck had an incredible run. It started in 96. But he also did the World Series for CBS. He did it for ABC. I mean, if his contract was up and you had baseball, you wanted Tim McCarver. He was that good. I like to say he actually set the bar for what an analyst should be. I mean, he didn't invent the position, but prior to him, you had a lot of guys who were really good. Tony Kubek comes to mind. Um, you know, Joe Garagiola did some play-by-play as well as color. But the true analyst, I think, began with Tim McCarver. He was just so good. What I love most about him is he worked ahead of the action. Anybody can get in the booth and explain to you what you're looking at in a replay after the fact, right? That doesn't take genius to do that. Yeah. But Tim anticipated situations, got out in front of things. He wasn't afraid either to tell it like it is. I mean, he had a very strong core belief of how the game should be played. And if you weren't abiding by that core belief, which really wasn't that hard, basically it was play fundamental baseball and play hard, he would call you out. <laughs> and so Tim McCarver was a guy that I, I think he, he defined, he didn't invent it, but he defined what a baseball analyst should be. Now, and just the idea of every network wanted him, because, you know, sometimes networks are like, oh, we can't have this guy because everyone associates him with ABC or NBC, but just having McCarver on always made the games feel bigger. Um, all right, th- but either, I appreciate it. Thank you. And it's funny, uh, there's so many places to start with, you know, pitchers and catchers and, and everything going on in baseball, but I just want to get your thoughts on McCarver. I knew you'd have a good answer there. Uh, going into this year is – is the biggest story the ban on on shifts? Is it the pitch clock? Like, what for you is the bigger, the biggest pitcher about all things baseball? Well, I think the one that's going to change the game the most for you as a fan is the pitch timer, because you know, last, listen, last year when they used it throughout the minor leagues, the games were cut by twenty five minutes. We're not going to get to that point. There's an extra second added to both bases empty and with runners on. Um, and there's some other built-in things. The commercial breaks are longer at MLB than, than the minors. But I'm pretty confident we should get at least 15 minutes and maybe even as much as 20 minutes off the length of the game. Now, it's not just about the time of the game. 
Although, you know, if you want to take your kids to a game in a weeknight during the school year, it's pretty nice to know the game's going to be over at 245 instead of 315. So that does make a difference when it comes to buying tickets. But more than that, it, it, the game will be played, I like to call it, in a heightened sense of readiness. So with that pitch timer, that batter's got to be in the box with eight seconds left on the pitch timer. It's not just on the pitcher to hurry up and get the sign and pitch. It's on the batter as well. So the game will be in a state of readiness so that you as a fan are locked in, knowing that the next pitch is coming really quickly. In other words, you won't have those long periods where nothing is happening. The guy's stepping out of the box. The pitcher's walking off the back of the mound. It'll happen from time to time. A pitcher can still basically call a timeout and step off the rubber once, uh, and the batter can do that too during course of an at-bat. So I'm not saying it's not going to happen at all. But in general, you're going to see this readiness where the game looks so much faster. And all we're doing is getting back to where the game was in the 80s and 90s. This is not revolutionary, but if you're a young fan, it might seem that way. So I think that as far as the aesthetics of the game and fan interest will have the biggest impact. It'll be noticeable right away. And as far as the governors on shifts, I love it. And I I think you're going to see a lot more hits in the game this year, especially from left-handed hitters. Um, I like the fact that the game now is going back into the hands of the players who are actually playing the game. And it's not like a coding contest between front offices to see who can hack the, the algorithms the most. Uh, in other words, right now we have guys who pull a card out of their back pocket to tell them where to play, and that's according to the front office. And usually sometimes that second baseman is 200 feet from home plate. And yeah. now we're getting to a point where you've got to, as a defender, you've got to be athletic. You've got to have range. And, and I think you will see uh, batting average go up, I think, about 15 points. There will be a lot more hits in the game, more base running, more stolen bases. So bottom line is I'm really excited about this season. I, I got to tell you, it makes me more excited. All all I want is more triples and the game to feel more like Tony Gwynn than home yeah. run, walk, or strikeout. And those are your only three options. How 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 hard do you think? What, what are the growing pains you think going to be for this? In terms of like, we know a lot of players are actually very conservative in nature when it comes to rule changes. How uh, combative do you think this could be between players and umps and players and the rules? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it is going to be uh, an awkward period of transition for a while. Um, this is a WBC season. There is the World Baseball Classic. They are not playing with these rules. So a lot of guys, and there are a lot of guys who are leaving their teams to go play in the WBC, will not be playing the WBC games under those rules. And it's going to take more than just spring training for guys to get acclimated, especially the veteran players. Now, a lot of players have had the clock in the minor leagues. Not a huge transition for the younger guy. But, you know, if you're someone like J.D. Martinez, who loves to step out of the box between every pitch, take a lot of time to ready himself to take the bat, you've got to change your approach. And so if we go, and I think this will happen. We saw the results when they went to the clock in the minor leagues. There were a lot of violations in the first month or so of the season. And a violation means it's either a ball added to the batter's count or a strike. Um, so that happened a lot in the first month of the season. It definitely went down to the course of the season, and it was basically wallpaper by the end of the year. You're going to see that same trajectory in the Major League Baseball. You'll have some games. Someone's going to play, complain, we lost because I didn't have enough time to get myself ready to either pitch or hit. It's going to happen. Veteran players are going to uh, beef about it. But you know what? This is the way we're going forward. You know, This is not just a one-year deal. This is the game going forward. Guys will get acclimated to it. There is a period of adjustment, but it will not be that long. Think about when they change the slide rule at second base where you can't take out the middle infielder or you can't right. run over the catcher at the plate. 
a lot of belly aching about those two rules. And really after a month, maybe even two at the most, it just faded away. And I think you'll see the same track here. Yeah, I mean, these are the best athletes in the world for baseball. They can and they will adjust. Uh, joined by baseball writer Tom Verducci, Sports Illustrated, MLB Network. Um, Tom, I, I was I was starting to go through my notes for the up, start of the baseball season, and I don't think this is hyperbole to say that the team with the most pressure on them, I, I know the Yankees haven't won a World Series since '09, but they've never had a lose. They haven't had a losing season since then. It, it's the Angels, where Mike Trout has one hit in the playoffs, and Shohei Otani is going to be a free agent after this year. I throw out the Angels have the most pressure on them. Um, would you counter with the Mets, or where would you go? Yeah, I would go with the Mets because of the just <laughs> unprecedented length they went with the payroll this year. It's a very good team. It was a good team last year, 101 wins, and you know spared no expense. A team loaded with stars. The owner has said if they didn't win a world championship within three to five years of him taking control, he'd be disappointed. Well, that clock is ticking. So I would go the Mets. I, I get what you're saying about the Angels. Um, listen, Shohei Otani is not going to sign an extension. I mean, he's going to get to free agency. that We've never seen, first of all, a player like Otani since Babe Ruth, and we have never seen a free agent like Otani, where it's essentially two players in one. So as much as the Angels would love to get him wrapped up and extended, it, it just guys like that have to get to free agency. I mean, who knows what his value is, but you can't really find out full value unless you enter into a bidding war. And believe me, it's going to be huge. So listen, the Angels' hopes of, of keeping him at all, they're going to have to win a bidding war, and they're going to have to have a very good season this year to convince him that, that they are a team that can play and compete for World Series. Uh, that's not true right now. So, yes, yeah, it's a big year for the Angels to try to convince them of that. Um, so I get what you're saying with the Angels. I think if you're a baseball fan, it's just a shame that we haven't seen Trout, uh, you know, except for one series he got swept in the postseason, and Otani not at all in the postseason. You want to see the best players in baseball on the biggest stage. It just doesn't happen with those guys. So, um, as a baseball fan, I think a lot of people would like to see it. I'm not sure they're close to, for that happening. They're better than last year. I'll give them that. But that is a very difficult American League West for them to, to break through. What do you think's harder for them? Um, poning up the winning uh, the contract war or winning on the field? I think winning the contract war. I mean, there's a lot of teams. The Dodgers come to mind specifically. The Giants are in the mix. You never will out the Yankees. And of course, now the Mets, you have to <laughs> include them on everybody. Uh, but I think it's, you know, if things get, if things break right for the Angels, I like what they did with some of their pitching with Tyler Anderson added there. I think they could get a wild card spot. That's not really that difficult. I think signing Otani to an extension where it is a bidding war going to unprecedented length that's going to be harder before we let you go and again joined by tom verducci and and not really get your analysis on if you think uh, kikuchi will bounce back for the blue jays this year but 92 win team last year in the american league east so we know how difficult that is just from your own 3,000 foot view uh, just any general impressions and thoughts of it the blue jays yeah, right now, and I'll wait till I see teams in spring training, but on paper, to me, it looks like a coin flip between them and the Yankees and the AL East, uh, and that division is totally stacked. I, I actually really like the Baltimore team. I think they could be a playoff team this year. But Toronto, I love. I thought they had a great offseason. When you think about what teams needed, and you go in with a shopping list, 
man, to me, the Blue Jays checked off every single box. They got more depth in the rotation with Bassett. They got left-handed hitting. They got defense in the outfield. All the things I thought were lacking a little bit last year, and that was a really good team, as you alluded to last year. Uh, I thought they addressed those needs. So I like the fact that this – I generally like teams that have a lot of players in the prime of their career, like 23 to 30, the best years of a player's career. Blue Jays have a lot of those players, and they've mixed in some veteran guys like Bass who are going to help out. So, yeah, I love this team. I'm fascinated to see how the ballpark is going to play this year. I can't believe what they've done with the right field uh, alley. It, it's It's got to be a home run hitter's park. It's, it basically, it's an indoor Yankee stadium when the roof is closed with that <laughs> short porch in, in right field. So that's going to play to their strengths because they can bang with anybody, even their right-handed hitters, Bichette, um, Guerrero, can hit the ball out the other way a lot, and this will reward them for doing that. So I think it's going to be rocking. The, the fans are going to be closer to the field. We already know it's a great crowd in Toronto. It's an exciting team. Um, it's just so cool to see places now like Toronto, Seattle, uh, San Diego, especially they've really become rock and baseball towns. And to me, Toronto's getting to the top of that list. Tom, where can people, they want to come find your work, hear your words, where are the best places? Cause I know you're not on Twitter smart by you. Um, where can people <laughs> find, uh, can find the work of Tom Verducci? Yeah, SI.com, Fox Sports, once the season starts rolling here on TV, and, of course, Major League Baseball Network. Love it. Hey, really appreciate you taking time to join the show. Uh, love your perspective, and hopefully you can chat somewhere during the season. Cool. I appreciate it. I should mention, too, I also have a book out with Joe Madden oh. called The Book of Joe. And we also have a podcast, which is like the most interesting baseball podcast you can listen to. We have a wide gamut of guests who come on our podcast. It's everybody from the drummer from the E Street Band to the mayor of Patterson, New Jersey. It's, it's chock full of surprises, which is kind of what you get with Joe Madden. Really? So oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. So you get you get um, uh, uh, from the E Street Band. He was uh, he was a Conan O'Brien's uh, drummer. Why am I forgetting yeah, his Max, name right now? Max Weinberg. Max Weinberg. Max Weinberg. Max Weinberg. Max Weinberg. Yes. yes. He oh was terrific. We we were really diving into what it takes for teamwork and leadership, and so we wanted to find out how does it work in a band. And right. the actually, even though Springsteen is, uh, as Max put it, the benevolent dictator of the band, <laughs> the drummer literally keeps the beat and the one who kind of keeps the team together, if you will, as a, a clubhouse leader, to, to borrow an analogy from baseball. So he was fascinating. But, uh, yeah, check it out, the Book of Joe podcast. The Book of Joe podcast. I imagine get that Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever quality you podcasts are, are found. Thanks so much, Tom. Really appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thank you. That was Tom Verducci, the Book of Joe podcast with Verducci and Joe Madden. I'm unaware of that. My God, all right, got to check that out for sure. All right, coming up on the other side of the show, we are going to get back to some of the um, the most relevant sound from Kyle Dubas on the Ryan O'Reilly trade, and we'll do that right after traffic. Welcome back, everyone. This is Gameplay. I'm your host, Matthew Cause. Quick question for you, producer Nick McVicker, and I'm going to put you on the spot here, and we didn't talk about this during the break. With the, the acquisition of Ryan O'Reilly and of Achari, 
of a Leafs season that, you know, they, they, I don't know if they'll finish with more points than they have last year and, and maybe not the same points percentage as that northern season, you know, with the, 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 the COVID. That and season all, doesn't and all that count. Jazz. I don't think that season yeah. should count for okay, point throw totals. Okay, throw it out. Throw it out. Throw I think it counts. The season counts. But for point totals, I don't think that's really fair. Is this the most talented today, February Ooh. 21st? Is this the most talented Leafs team you've seen? Probably. I'm trying if to think we were, back to some of like the early 2000 teams. The early two, yeah. The, you got to stretch your mind back right. to yeah to like uh, you know Matt Sundin yeah. prime beating Ottawa every year in the first round yeah. of the playoffs. Like you know it, we we can go and look back at that. But you bring in now Ryan O'Reilly with Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Nylander, John Tavares, with a defense that is good, not great. Yeah. It's it's a good defense, um, with goal like if you look at the team goaltending, I, I bet the stats are above average, not elite, but I bet they're above average just in terms of team save percentage and goals against. I haven't looked at it. Like literally, I just thought of this. I was I was looking at the lines for tonight's game. Uh, by the way, Rasmus Sandin is out. Connor Timmins is in. Ilya Samsonov will get the start tonight. Is this the most talented Leafs team you've seen? I'm going to answer. You can't answer. Yeah, I'm going to okay, answer yeah. it this way. Okay, it is definitely the most talented uh, forward group I've seen. Mm-hmm. It is not the most talented goaltending group I've seen, and it correct. It is not the most talented defensive six I've seen. I don't think defensive six. Like, listen, when 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 Muzzin was healthy, and yeah. you had Labushkin, like you know, with and TJ Brody, like last year's defense. When Muzzin was healthy, was 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 very good. Again, the Leafs didn't win in the playoffs because none, no star player can score in a game six or seven. Yeah, that's why they lost. It's yeah. not about Jack Campbell. It's not about third line defense. It's about Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares. Right. Um, but just 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 throwing it out there, and it's 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 a question I'm going to think about over over the next couple of days. But let's hear from Kyle Dubas. Let's have the general manager pull the move off on Friday night. Achari and Ryan O'Reilly uh, for basic four, four draft picks, a first, second, third, and fourth, a couple prospects, and they only have to pay 25% of Ryan O'Reilly's contract. Here's Kyle Dubas on the O'Reilly acquisition. Felt that the move was important considering um, the market going through all of our options, surveying the market, continuing to watch where our own team was at and where we're headed um, to add these uh, two specific players to our group. Um, Obviously, Ryan O'Reilly's pedigree speaks for itself, um, but his defensive prowess, his playoff performance, um, what he brings to our uh, center position uh, and what he will bring to our team on and off the ice we thought was vital for trying to accomplish what we're about to try to accomplish, especially uh, with the level of competition that we're going to face. Caught us all off guard, and good for them. I think in the end, what you say about that, we'll find out what happened at this deal. We were all excited about Nick Foligno, massive failure. Part of that was due to injury. I think it's fair to say Ryan O'Reilly, a more talented player than Nick Foligno, and I know 2019 feels like ages ago, but every year Ryan O'Reilly is top five, top six in the, in the Selkie conversation. You know, you now have that second line is much better. You bring in Achari, 
You give David Kampf lesser minutes, and now the third and fourth line are better. It also allows you to take like a yarn crock and get him off that second line, put him on the third. Or if eventually O'Reilly becomes a third line center, then the bottom six depth gets better. Overall, the forwards, this is uh, this is uh, not a hot take. The forward position is much better. Yes. The second line winger rotation issue is over. Yes, and I, I have I have a fun little. Uh challenge for you maddie okay let's say ryan uh-huh. o'reilly goes down to the third the third pair yeah yeah or the third line not third pair i don't know why i said pair right <laughs> imagine these position sets moving forward down the middle you have matthews Tavares, o'reilly and camp that's excellent that's incredible pretty good doesn't get better right wing ready for this yeah you have Nylander playing with Matthews right now. Marner playing with Tavares. Those two could flip. Yep. Achari, Yarncroak. Yeah. That's great. And let's not look at the left wing because it's very scary. Let's just move on. I'll quickly quickly say it. Bunting. We'll just, yeah. Kerfoot. Bunting's good. Bunting is good. Kerfoot. You know, there we go. Engvall. All right, you know. And Zach Aston Reese right now. Ah, you know, hey, you're in a salary cap sport. You're not going to have. You know, uh, but it's so funny uh, to look at how good those other two positional groups are on the on the attacking twelve. Like that's Mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a it's a hell of a spot to be in. It was it was a hell of a trade made on Friday night. Leafs taking on the Sabres tonight. A game you can listen to right here on TSN ten fifty. And as I mentioned before, on FanDuel, my uh, I got five dollar on the odds boost of Tage Thompson and Ryan O'Reilly to each just record a point. And if it happens, my $5 turns into $13.75. On the other side of the show, Andrew Cayley is going to join a senior betting analyst at Covers.com. We'll get um, we'll look ahead a little bit to the Blue Jays. We'll start uh, looking at uh, some, uh, some thoughts on the Raptors. And also, all this talk of, uh, of tanking and all this talk of of load management. How much does it impact when you're out there trying to make a wager in the world of basketball? We'll chat with Andrew Cayley about that. And uh, we'll do that after traffic, which is brought to you by JanPro, Canada's leader in commercial cleaning and disinfection services. Trust the professionals at JanPro. Visit them today at janpro.ca. Welcome back, everybody. This is Gameplay. I'm your host, Matthew Cos. Hope everyone had a good, uh, long weekend. If you did indeed have Monday off, and if you worked it, well, I'm sorry, but I hope it was at least a productive day and you got paid time and a half, double time, overtime, or whatever it is you were able to get. Joining us now, Senior Betting Analyst at Covers.com. It is Andrew Cayley. And usually I don't like to start uh, an interview by shaming someone, but I will. Um, Andrew, I see a tweet here that said, I might go bet the overs for both of tomorrow's XFL games. Quality has been better than expected, and books may have overreacted to the results from Volume 2.0. How did you do betting on the XFL this weekend? Well, I I cast a bunch. I, I bet overs in in four of the games, and they went 3-1. And, and uh. like, I, like I said, 
the first time the new XFL came around in 2020, the the expectations were very high, and people wanted just something, some other football to bet on, and odds makers just didn't know what to do with it when it first came out. So the totals for the week one of the XFL in 2020 were in the 50 range for all four games. And then, of course, if you were following along then, you realized that the quality that time around was was, was not so great, and unders were cashing like crazy. I think they went 11-5 and five in the first four weeks of, of uh, version two, but odds makers didn't adjust. And, uh, but then the, that it, they eventually did, and the USFL happened, and it, we've just been seeing bad spring football for a while now. So now we were getting these really low totals of 36 and a half for this first week, and I think that was a little too low. And we're actually seeing um, those numbers again this week for a couple of the games between the Seattle, or sorry, the Seattle Sea Dragons and the St. Louis Battlehawks, 36 and a half total there, and the DC Defenders and the Vegas Vipers also have another total of 36 and a half. And there are four competent quarterbacks in those games, so I'll be looking at the overs for for those ones on uh, Thursday and Saturday as well. I think. All right, instead of just doing the low-hanging fruit and making funny and all that, um, what did you see? Like, like I guess more importantly, is there anything you saw there in terms of the new rules and just uh, the, the broadcast and the access to players and coaches? Actually, that last one will never get. The coaches and players in the NFL will never allow it. But um, what, what was your overall impressions of the play on the field, and will there be anything the NFL would steal or the CFL would steal? Uh, I really like the kickoff, for one. It's... It, lowers i think the chances of having a bad impact on the kickoff but it also with the rules that are implemented um it wants you to still have returns you're just not going to get those violent collisions that you would in the nfl and it rewards actually returning the ball um as opposed to you get a penalty uh, if, if it's a touchback so uh that was that's a fun little wrinkle there Obviously, the two-point conversions or, or the extra point, three-point conversions, one-point conversions, I, I think we'll see a lot of three-point conversions going forward considering how many one- and two-point conversions were missed uh, in the first week of the XFL. Um, really also like the very transparent, even if you don't agree with it, uh, some of the calls that were made, the transparent review system, you were literally in the, the booth with Dean Blandino, and uh, while he was looking at the videos and making the calls, like, if, whether or not you liked it, it was very clear as to what they were doing, which is, I think, the big thing the NFL should take away from that. And uh, the quality on the field, like like I said, it, it, it was better this time around than we saw in 2020. The the overall talent, I think, is is higher. There's some some more well-known skill position players in the league this time around, and uh, the product it, it just looked good. I liked I loved the betting uh, the betting uh, odds on the score bug. Like that, it's a league it, they should lean into the betting. And uh, it was – I liked the product overall through one week. Yeah, that's the one thing I, I threw it out there, that if this league is ever going to survive, a lot of it is going to be because of betting. Because, you know, a lot of the players were not going to know. And the fact is the biggest stars on the field is always going to be members of the coaching staff and not the players that they're coaching. Exactly, exactly. And there are – and I, I'd say handicapping those coaches is a big part of the XFL – uh, early on, Wade Phillips, he's the head coach of the Houston team. Obviously, he's been known as a great defensive coordinator from his time in the NFL. Um, and that that Houston defense looks like one of the best defenses in the XFL early on. Bob Stoops um, with the Arlington Renegades team, team he uh, 
He's obviously a longtime head coach at Oklahoma and uh, is known for his offense and, and that Arlington team, while a bit of a slow start, they picked things up in the second half. And uh, they also have a little neat home field advantage where the entire league is headquartered in Arlington at like the team's practice in Arlington all week. And then they fly out to their game, to their respective cities. So like the, the, the battle Hawks and the sea dragons, they'll be practicing in Arlington this week. And then they fly to Seattle to play the game on Thursday night. So uh, I think Arlington has a bit of an edge there when it comes to that as well. Okay. XFL insider, Andrew Cayley. I did not expect (laughs) to hear Arlington's got a bit of an edge going into that one. Moving over to the NBA feels to me the biggest topic of conversation was about load management, players playing, players resting, fans being upset with this. Um, are we hitting a saturation point? Like, a, are we hitting that that um, that that moment where fans might you know start tuning out? I, I'm curious, and you can take this to a betting angle where you can't bet on an NBA game until about two minutes before a tip off. But just your overall thoughts, because that was certainly a large part of the conversation of this past All Star Weekend. It was really interesting to see how many players were talking about it during the weekend. Anthony Edwards is obviously probably the biggest name talking about it, saying like players should play sort of thing. But uh, like you said, it's made betting extremely, extremely difficult um, this season because like you said, you could have guys, guys who are, um, uh, sorry about that. (laughs) Wait, hold on. Wait, wait. Are you running out of the room or? Are you trying to quiet the dog? What is your what is your plan of attack right now? The plan was to sneak out of the room before the dog started barking. I think I kind of did it, but not but not fully there. Uh, yeah. But yeah, from a bet, <laughs> from a betting perspective, it, it just made NBA handicapping extremely difficult. And I think I've mentioned to you this this to you in the past. Betting player props has been the best way to go this season to kind of mitigate those unexpected um, outs and and absences from these players because then you can bet on those props and hopefully they suit up. But if they don't, worst case scenario, you get avoided bets. So uh, it's been tough. It's been a tough year for the NBA. And I think something does need to be mandated about it going forward because you you mentioned this too in the past, like maybe there's some of these kids at a game for the first time. It's the only ticket they can afford and, you're hoping yeah. to see some of these stars, and they're not playing in these games. It's not good for the product overall, is what I would say. No, it's not. And the concern is, do you alienate just like five, seven percent of your of of your fan base and of your potential new ones? And you know, to me, I don't know. The answer seems to be a combination of: Can you make the calendar year a little bit longer so there's no back-to-backs? Can you tie in? The um, the all the all NBA team awards to games played because that's a big that's a big money thing as well, and then the third one the hardest is how do we as sports fans can we find a way to celebrate regular season accomplishment versus all we talk about is championships? Well, isn't that what the MVP award is anyway? And all these awards are, are for regular season awards, but I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think the best case scenario would be shortening the season, actually eliminating games. But never going to happen. Far, that, owners are that, far that, too greedy to ever yeah. ever do Hold that. Hold on, but. wait. They they are greedy, but guess who's just as greedy? The players. The they players, would have to take a, They would have to take a pay cut. I know we always want to just paint the owners as evil, but the players as well. They also like money. Um, you know, uh, mortgages ain't cheap. So uh, I don't think anyone would agree to shorten season because y'all losing money. 
Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's too bad. But uh, the, the length of the season just wouldn't work, I would say, either, just because I don't think people care about the NBA until about now anyway, For the besides the hardcore NBA fans out there, until about the All-Star game anyway. And uh, people kind of don't pay attention for a, for a large majority of the season. So I, I don't know. They're, they're, they're going to have to figure something out. Uh, I'm just not sure what the best solution is at this point. Andrew, I think I asked this before. Uh, I got ten bucks on the Raptors to make the playoffs at plus one eighty four. Yay or nay on that deal, on that bet? Uh, is it the playoffs or the play in? Playoffs. So play they, in. You're not so going to get. Have, yeah. So you'd have to win your play in to uh, yeah. win the bet. I yeah. I think they'd probably, from what I've seen since the Jakob Pertl trade, I would kind of like that bet. We know that Brooklyn's kind of going to go down a bit, and there's they're battling with teams like the Knicks and the Hawks, who I think are flawed teams to begin with as well. I, I don't hate it. I just looked on FanDuel, too, and you can get a live bet on the Raptors season win total at 39.5, and, and that's the one that I kind of like because I think they get close to that 500 mark when all is said and done with the full uh, last third of the season playing with Pirtle and giving that bench some length and some protection on the inside. And obviously we've seen them work the pick and roll with Pascal uh, and it's been a lot of fun so far. So hopefully they could ride that momentum and I could see them, them inching towards 40 wins this season for sure. So I, I like that over 39 and a half. Yeah, I'm going to lose my original one. I had them over 46 and a half wins. That one ain't happening. Uh, before, uh, before I let you go, if, uh, if I'm throwing up the, uh, the win totals for the Toronto Blue Jays, we know pitchers and catchers are uh, showing up to town. Would you take the over or under for the Toronto Blue Jays? And just looking at FanDuel, they got that total at 91 and a half wins. They win 92 last year. Where are you going, sir? And again, you're allowed to change your opinion because, you know, we'll see what, we'll see what happens come, you know, exhibition and all that. But as of right now on February 21st, are you taking the over or the under? I'm taking the over right now because I have to believe that the moves that they made this offseason, bringing Varsho and um, showing up the bullpen a bit, they're, they're trying to make the team more balanced overall, and there's a process here, and I really think they, they did a good job. You can expect a bounce back from Jose Barrios. Um, so there's room for improvement on those on those 92 wins, I would say, with the roster that they have going into this season, and I expect them – to be the second best team in the division again this year. Obviously it's a tough division uh, with the Orioles kind of ascending and the, the Rays continuing to be the Rays. And uh, I'm also going to bet the Yankees over their 94 and a half wins, as long as they don't suffer another injury to that pitching rotation, because that offense is going to be, is going to be tough again. And adding Carlos Rodon to that, to that rotation is, uh, is a scary proposition for the other teams in the American League East. Andrew, always appreciate. Check out his work at covers.com. And, and maybe, are, are you going to be writing some pieces uh, uh, XFL? Are you going to be doing some XFL previews? I will be doing some XFL previews for you, Matt. Oh, nice, nice. Hey, really appreciate all the best. Thank you so much for joining the show today, Andrew. Thanks, Matt. Good luck with all your bets. Yeah, you as well. Andrew Cayley, senior betting analyst at Covers.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Covers underscore Cayley. That's C-A-L-E-Y. Coming up on the other side, we got Sound of the Day. we got some doozies from Charles Barkley to Anthony Edwards. 
some doozies for you. We'll do that after traffic, which is brought to you by JanPro, Canada's leader in commercial cleaning and disinfection services. Trust the professionals at JanPro. Visit them today at janpro.ca. Time now for traffic. Welcome back, everybody. This is Gameplay. I am your host, Matthew Cause. Again, I think I'll give it a couple more days. Just really want to think about this and look at some of the past rosters. When you just look at the overall talent, and we know there's there's issues, obviously, on the on the uh, on the left wing, and we know there are issues, you know, some issues on defense and goal. But after the addition of Ryan O'Reilly, is this the most talented Leafs team that you've seen? Is it more talented than the early, the 03, 04 team? You know, Sundin, Roberts, McGillney, all those players. Uh, I get to go the 92, 93 uh, Leafs. That team was more talented. You know, peak Doug Gilmore. I will take that team over this one. But just throwing it out there. Um, and again, yeah, and that's, a, that's a good that. shout there, Matty. I'm a little yeah. too young to have seen that yeah. team, which is why I couldn't say it. But that would have been where I would have gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, just something to consider. By the way, shout out John Rom winning the Genesis Invitational. Shout out to Tiger Woods who did finish all four rounds, and now um, you know it looks like he will. We probably won't see him again until the Masters on April sixth. And a tough time for Adam Hadwin after shooting opening round sixty seven. He went seventy three, seventy five, and seventy five. Woof. As for the Maple Leafs, they beat uh, Montreal on Saturday, tidy dominant win. And then Sunday, Samsonov, tough game for him, but he wasn't feeling well. First line did not show up. So they lose to the Blackhawks 5-3. They're taking on the Buffalo Sabres tonight. And, you know, we'll again get to see Bunting, Matthews, and Nylander, Tavares, Ryan O'Reilly, and Mitch Marner on that second line. I mean, it's just fascinating to see. Uh, do, does Sheldon Keefe stick with that? Does O'Reilly go to the third line center role? These are, And, again, the, the fact they made that deal on Friday – Gives the team two weeks to figure out what works best. Gives them a two-week head start before the actual NHL trade deadline hits. All right, we do this at the end of each and every show. It is time now for Sound of the Day. Sound of the Day, Sound of the Day. Here comes the Sound of the Day. And for Sound of the Day, there's a couple doozies from the NBA. Let's start first with Charles Barkley. You know, and again, he's going uh, he's going old school here. Who's Charles Barkley on today's NBA players? Y'all baby these dudes so much today. They don't want to play back-to-back games. Every time a fan says something, they get them tossed. If they're not happy, they want to get traded. I don't, like, it's going to come to a head in the next CBA. And it's a weird one because on one end, we do love the soap opera. We love the soap opera. And the ratings are great for that, and it gets talked about, you know, days before the Super Bowl. But the other end is at some point, will there be a bit of a tipping point where a lot of fans go, thanks, but no thanks, I'm just tired of uh, the player's behavior. We're all for player empowerment, but sometimes you wonder about the unintended consequences if it goes too far. And as for players being babied, that gets started way, 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 way before they get in the NBA. That's in high school, and you recognize, oh, wait a minute, this guy's got special talents. Suddenly, they're going to be surrounded by people telling them how wonderful they are. So I don't, I don't really blame NBA players. If you're 13 years old and people are always telling you how awesome you are, that is going to have an impact on your worldview. 
And that ain't being a, that's not about being an NBA player. That's about being a human being. Maybe the more interesting piece of sound. Let's play this again. I opened the, the show with it. Here's a um, you know, star, young star in the making for the Minnesota Timberwolves, Anthony Edwards. Here's his thoughts on the number one thing that's wrong about basketball. If there's anything I could change about the league to make it better, probably just all the guys sitting resting. That's the only thing I probably don't like. Um, just play, man. If you, if you, if you, if you, eighty percent, you got to play. I, I don't, I don't like all the sitting, missing games and stuff like these people. These people might have enough money to come to one game. You know what I'm saying? And it, that might be the game they come to, and then you sitting out. You know what I'm saying? So, I take pride in trying to play every game because I don't know. It might be one fan that has never seen me play, and I'm trying to play. So, I don't. That's the only thing I don't like. Uh, guys just sitting out. The problem with this issue is that there are so many different places to blame. If you want to blame it on the players, fine, you can do that. We've heard from C.J. McCollum and Steph Curry going, no, 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 this is not us. This is owners. This is the team's science and medical department telling us we need to sit. Part of this is just based on the fact that the style of play now is so different than what it used to be. I think both of these things are true. The game was tougher back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, hard fouls, what you could get away with in terms of defense in the post. I grew up a Knicks fan in the 90s, so I saw that sort of punishment. You go watch that docu- the, the Michael Jordan documentary, you saw what the Pistons did to him. So on that level, yeah, tougher game back in 1993. But the other side is the defense is at a higher level. You've got to guard the entire floor. The three-point line, you got to go out there, and you got to guard that, and three seconds later, you're in the post. Think about what that does. Now the amount of mileage on players, the stress on their knees, on their legs, ankles, everything, because you're shuffling around, you're moving more, you are running more in an NBA game today than you were in 1993. And that's another reason why players are getting injured. The health is there. I mean, the science is there. The teams of doctors, everyone is there to help these players stay healthy. Why is everyone getting hurt? Part of it's the style of the game. Part of it's also these players, by the time they get into the NBA, they've played a lot more. These AAU uh, you know, teams and things like that, all of that comes into play. So then what do you do if you're the NBA? Do you force the players to go, okay, these awards, these awards now, if you want to win them, you've got to play a minimum amount of games. The last 10 82-game seasons, only four of the NBA uh, MVPs excuse me, played 80 games or more. Only four. That right there has got to find a way to change that. And whether it's you tie it in, whether it's you make the calendar year longer, whatever you got to do. Because one thing you're not going to do, you are not going to shorten the season. That's not going to happen. And that, to me, is the, that is the big issue of, um, of players not playing enough games. And you hear the commissioner says, I don't know. I don't have a good answer, is what he actually said. And they're talking about how, for these teams and these players, everything is about optimizing performance for the playoffs. And in the end, maybe that's why you're never going to be able to make the regular season count more. Because for all of us, fans, media, or a lot of us, everything is about the postseason. And we don't put enough time, attention, or give enough glory or flowers to what you do in the regular season. If there was a way to fix that mindset, you would see more guys playing 80 games or more. That'll do it for me.
You got Overdrive coming up next, and after Overdrive, it is the Leafs, it is the Buffalo Sabres, a game you can listen to right here on TSN 1050. Gameplay on TSN 1050 was brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Get your winnings faster when you download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Overdrive is coming up next, but first, traffic.